2013 is just around the corner. My mom told me that by the time I was having kids that there would be no need for cars because they would just we'd just be flying through the air like the Jetsons. <laughs> Things have changed a lot, although she appears to be somewhat of a false prophet. <laughs> Have mercy upon her. 2013. It seems like time goes by so fast. And it's at times like that that we, for me, as, as I transition into the new year, I think of of my life, I think of where my heart is, I think of the ministry, I think of um, how Christ could be most exalted. Someone who had a huge impact, is, has continued to have a huge impact on my life is, is, is Jonathan Edwards. And, and this kind of last of the great Puritans, um, was used in just incredible ways for the furtherance of the gospel. Writings in which would build up the saints. Incredibly fruitful life. And yet he thought, he thought on these things all the time. He thought on his life and doing an evaluation of his life. But not like the world does. Nothing about it was man-centered. It was all completely and entirely Christ-centered. As as just a a young man in his late teens, early 20s, he wrote 70 resolutions. And in those resolutions, he, he begins by saying, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help. I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. And then remember to read over these resolutions once a week for the entirety of his life. Seventy resolutions read once a week and it just the the heart that says, "I I can't do any of this apart from his enabling." I can't do anything. I can't, there is no fruit that can come forward from my life apart from his enabling. There's no way that I can keep myself from sin apart from his enabling. I don't want to have any resolutions that are apart from his written word, his will, what he calls me to do in scripture. But I want this to be fresh on my mind. I want to think of it I want to remember it. I want it to have an impact on me. And so he said, I want to read these once a week. And, and some of them that, that pertain most to, to the new year and, and looking ahead and evaluating his life were ones like, like resolve, number 41, to ask myself at the end of every day, week, month, and year, wherein I could possibly in any respect have done better. At the end of every day, as I lay down on my bed, how could I have done better? At the end of every week, at the end of every month, and as we approach the new year, at the end of every year, how could I have possibly 
done better, in any respect done better. Or number 37, resolve to inquire every night as I'm going to bed, wherein I have been negligent, what sin I have committed, and wherein I have denied myself, also at the end of every week and month and year. Where have I been negligent? He says, I frequently, number 52, I frequently hear persons in old age say how they would live if they were to live their lives over again. Resolve that I will live just so as I can think I shall wish I had done, supposing I lived to an old age. I hear old people saying, I wish I would have done this. I want to think now, how will I have wished I had lived if I get to that point of old age? I want to do that now. Number 17, resolve that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. Resolve, number seven, never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Number five, resolve never to lose one moment of time but improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. And then number six, it just summarizes so much of of just this man, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. With all my might, with everything I have. I I don't want to coast. I don't don't want to be lukewarm. I I don't want to be half-hearted. I want to live my life with all my might while I do live, being sensible that I'm unable to do anything without God's help. I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these. We approach the new year and it's a sweet time for us to think on these things. We're going to take a break in the book of Romans for just this Sunday morning and continue next week. But I wanted to look at a psalm, Psalm 90, if you would turn there with me. If you don't have your Bibles, there's Bibles under the pews. But Psalm 90. In Psalm 90, we find a psalm that is a prayer. And it's the prayer of Moses. We find a psalm that has been preached before on a New Year's Eve several times throughout the course of church history. A psalm that is used frequently at funerals. A psalm that is a prayer of a man who was used in incredible ways for the sake of God's glory. And so I thought it would be appropriate for us to look at it this morning in light of 2013. Let's read the psalm together and then we'll we'll take it apart. Psalm 90 verse 1 A prayer of Moses the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. 
Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning they are like Grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. How long and, and have compassion on your servants. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So this particular psalm begins by saying a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Let's think about the author here for for a moment. Moses. First 40 years of his life was spent in the household of Pharaoh. Son. He was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, we're told. The next 40 years he spent in Midian as a fugitive from the wrath of Pharaoh after killing an Egyptian who was mistreating one of the Hebrews. His last 40 years were devoted to leading the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt to the land that God had promised to Abraham and to his descendants. Moses died at the age of 120. And he led the Israelites through 40 years of wandering through the desert, through the wilderness. Took them to the very edge of the promised land. And it was there that that he died. Someone who saw just incredible things. From the burning bush where, where God approached him and said, Moses, Moses, and, and Moses said, here I am. And, and God comes to him and says, do not come near, put off your shoes from your feet from the place on which you are stand, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. The awe of, of, of a man like this to, to, to be able to see the power of God. That this is not a man who approached God in some kind of happy, slappy way as if God was his buddy. 
He approached God with reverence and awe. I mean, just even coming before him and hearing the Lord God say, don't, don't come near, take off the shoes from your feet. The place you're standing on is holy ground. Moses, who was the one who was taken up to Mount Sinai, given the law, was able to see just a glimpse of the glory of God, being able to see the power of God. This man who, who was, was afraid, and, and yet God, God told him, you know, you'll have authority because when you, when you go, I'll give you these three signs. If, if you throw this rod on the ground, it'll become a serpent. If you, if you put your hand in your bosom, it'll come out leprous. If if, if you pour water from the Nile on the ground, it, it'll become blood. They'll know that you're sent from me because I'll give you these signs. We, we see him as, as one who, who was told to, to go to the Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And, and we, we see the plagues, these, these incredible plagues that come upon the Egyptians. Plagues of, of, of the Nile turning to blood and frogs and gnats and flies and and the killing of the livestock, and boils on the people, and hail, and locusts, and darkness, and, and all of these things to the point where we've finally come to the, the first Passover, where the firstborn is killed, and, and he, he gives them this, this command to, to, to put blood on their do- doorposts as a sign, so when the angel passes over, when he sees the blood, he'd pass over God's people, and God preserving his people, and, and letting his people go, and, 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 and just the the greatness of, of, of thinking of a God in whom Moses constantly is calling upon in the midst of just incredible trials in his life, calling upon when he's faced between the, the armies of the Egyptians and, and, and the Red Sea and, and, and watching the, the sea open up and God's people go through and seeing the salvation of the Lord as he just says to the people, pray. Such an incredible view of God that he trusts him in the most adverse of all circumstances. Things that we could never even think of as far as the difficulties that he went through. Leading a people who were just, people who were, were just terrible sometimes, weren't they? I mean, the, the, these people where, where God leads them through the, the sea and, and you, you look at it and you think of the glory of it all. Over two million people going through, and, 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 and he leads them by a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire of night, and, and then takes them to this place to where the Red Sea is, and they go right through. And it's just three days later that they come to the place where they don't have water to drink, and they start complaining and saying, Why did you take us out of Egypt? I mean, after seeing something just incredible as far as the glory of God and a sea dividing. They're thirsty, and, and they just start complaining and complaining. And we see that the 40 years of wandering through the desert are just filled with complaining and not trusting in God and having a small view of God and, and making for themselves idols and worshiping false gods. And, and Moses going there and, and, and seeing the wrath of God coming upon his people and calling out frequently for, for God to show mercy upon them and God showing mercy upon them, but at other times, God's judgment coming upon them and discipline coming upon them, his wrath coming upon them. And we see someone who is there and has experienced incredible things. And this is his prayer. I don't know at what point in, in his life this prayer was made, but you could think that, that more than likely it was at some point in those 40 years within the desert, within the wilderness. 
for many of the families at our church, there's, there's been times of abundance and there's been times of want. There's been times where things are just joyful and wonderful and, and times in which it, it feels like your, your world is unraveling. Times of thankfulness and times where you are distant from Christ. And so this, this psalm's appropriate for all of us. And so it's a psalm that comes as a prayer from Moses, and it begins like this. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. He just starts this prayer as he's thinking on these things. And I, I think that this would have been a prayer that would have been given just by God's people throughout the history of the church and the history of God's people in Israel, a prayer of, of just evaluating life and, and, and who we are. And he begins by just saying, you've been our dwelling place to all generations. To all generations, the Lord has been the dwelling place for God's people. For Moses, they wandered in the desert in tents with no permanency, but God was their refuge. He was their rock. He was their fortress. He was... His presence was with them, and in the shadow of his wings, they found shelter. He was their sanctuary, and they rested in him. The entirety of of their rest could only be found in him. And and as, as Moses thinks on these things, he says, you've been our dwelling places, and it's been that way to all generations. It's the same for us. To find ourselves in the shelter of his wings. I, I think of John 15, verse 4, where Jesus tells us, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. For I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me, I am in him. And I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. He is our dwelling place. He is the one that we rest upon. He is our fortress. And apart from him, we can do nothing. Moses goes from there to verse 2 to say, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. For him, as he thinks about life, he just begins by saying, These mountains, before they ever were brought forth, before you ever created anything, before you ever formed the earth, Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You don't ever change. And for us to know that as we look at approaching this new year, as we evaluate our lives and the frailty of our lives, as we think on these things, to be able to know that he is the same yesterday and today and forever. He's unchanging. From generation to generation, he is the same. He cannot improve for the better, and he will not Turn for the worse. He is God and he does not change. He makes it so clear. James and James, he says, that in him there is no variation or shadow of turning. In Psalm 100 and verse 5, he says, For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. It doesn't ever stop. He tells us in Jeremiah that he's loved us with an everlasting love. In Malachi 3, 6, he says, For I am God, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed. I'm God, and I don't change. And as a result of the fact that I don't change, you're not consumed. His promises endure forever. 
And so as Moses begins to think about these things, he starts with just a gigantic view of who God is. And that's where we ought to start as well. Approaching the new year and thinking on these things and look and just say, he is from everlasting to everlasting. He's God. He's the creator of everything. He's sovereign and he doesn't ever change and there's nothing that's too hard for him and there's no one that can stop him. There's no one that can say, what are you doing? There's no one that can hold back his hand. God does whatever he wills to do everywhere. There's not a sparrow that falls to the ground apart from his will and that is the God that we serve. That is our starting point. That is where we begin with a God who is all powerful and he is good and he does not change. To verse 3, he says, you, you turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. Or another translation, you return man to dust. You say, return, O children of men. And, and God does that, doesn't he? He shifts from the unchanging God that we serve, his immutability, to we're not that way. All God has to do is say it and we return to the dust. Moses shifts to his own frailty, to our frailty. In Luke chapter 12, there's a parable that's given by Christ. And and he says the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you, you have many good things laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then, those, then, whose, then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Here's this man, I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to build barns, I'm going to build bigger barns. Look at my kingdom, I'm going to eat, drink, I'm going to just, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take, take my ease and, and be merry. I, I've laid up things for many years and, and God just says, you're a fool. You, you didn't know that tonight your soul would be required of you. None of us is guaranteed tomorrow. None of us is guaranteed retirement. None of us is guaranteed to live to, to the 70s or, or 80s, as we'll see here in the psalm. None of us is guaranteed any of that. And so God says to this man, you're a fool. You're, your soul was required. What are you going to do with the stuff? What are you going to do with the stuff? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Treasure him. Treasure Christ. God's message to us over and over again would be, you're frail and you don't know at what point God will take you and call you to return to the dust. Treasure Christ. Esteem him above all things. Make it so that we approach this new year and we, we don't hold tight to the stuff of the world, but we treasure Christ and his kingdom and his, his goodness and the gospel and those that are around us. And we treasure one another as the body of Christ and we love one another and we care for one another and we desire to, to edify each other, to build each other up, to encourage one another in the faith. This is what God has called us towards. And, and to realize that that we're not to lay up treasures for ourselves. Verse four, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night. A thousand years, Moses saying, in your sight, God, it's like, it's like yesterday that just, it already passed. You, you remember yesterday. 
don't you? Barely. It just passed. It passed too fast for me, but it just passed. And God says here through Moses that, that for God, it, a thousand years for God is it's just like, it's like yesterday that already went by. For him, it's like just a watch in the night. Like someone that took a shift of three hours. And God says, that's, that's, what a, that's what a thousand years is like for me. It's just like a, it's like a watch in the night. It's like one shift that you took. Second Peter 3, 8 says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. For God, he's so much bigger than all of these things. In the book of James, God tells us, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. And God would call us as his people, don't boast in your arrogance. Don't look at it as far as, I've done all these things. I've made all these plans. Here is everything. It's all in order. I'm in control of all of it. When in reality, we're not in control of any of it. We're not in control of any of it. Our life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while, and it vanishes away. And the question is, is how do we use it? Did we waste it? Do we live for ourselves? Do we treasure up things here on earth? Or do we treasure Christ in things to come? From there, Moses says, You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning, they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. It goes by so quickly. One of my favorite times of the year will be just coming up in the next couple months where we look at our hills here and, and they start getting green. I love that. You get up close, and it doesn't look as spectacular as it does from further away. But there's just these little blades of grass that just surface, and it makes everything look like we're living in Ireland or something like that. Now, you can imagine there in the desert, there was grass that when it rained at night, it down. the grass would sprout up even overnight. And by the time it was midday, it would just, from the heat of the sun in the desert, it would just wither away. And Moses' point here is he's inspired by the Holy Spirit is that's what life is like. In Ephesians 5 verse 15, it says, See then that you walk circumspectly or carefully, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What's God's will in our life? What God, what's God's will for us? What are the gifts that he has given us? How does he desire us to use them? Did we bury them, or do we use them for his kingdom and for his people and for the furtherance of the gospel? 
How is it that we are living and what is it that we are doing? He's given us the Holy Spirit to convict us. He's given us his word to instruct us. He's told us these things because he desires for us to redeem the time that we have been given. Walk carefully. Don't coast. Walk carefully. The days that we are living in are evil. Use the times that you've been given, the days that you have been given, redeeming them. In verse 7, it says, For we have not been consumed by your anger. I'm sorry, the opposite of that. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. Remember who he's talking to and where the prayer is coming from. Moses has seen thousands upon thousands of people consumed in a day. He had watched God's people that that had been brought out of of Egypt and, and watched them wander and watched the judgment come upon them and watched them take their gold and make false gods. He had watched them do all of these things and he had seen God's wrath. I mean, there is no doubt in Moses' mind that God's wrath is real and that God is, is one in whom it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He is very, very much aware of that. He, he is not like a Santa Claus that's up in heaven and looking to see who's naughty or nice. He's... He's almighty God who is holy and who cannot be a part of sin. And Moses was well aware of that. He was well aware of the wrath of God. And I read verses like this and I'm thankful for God's discipline that comes upon me when he chastens me. But I'm also thankful that I'm no longer under the wrath of God. Because as we look at this particular point in the New Testament, the wrath of God has been taken upon Christ Jesus our Lord as he hung there upon the cross. So that we would never ever experience the wrath of God as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ because as he hung on the cross, all of the wrath, all of the vengeance, all that we could ever deserve, eternity in hell, was placed upon Christ on the cross so that it would not have to ever come upon us. It was finished and it was fulfilled. And so we read this prayer and we have to think biblically in light of where we stand under the gospel and love it, knowing that his wrath has been removed from us. In verse 10, he says, the days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength, they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. The average of those that lived there, he's saying, was 70 years or maybe 80 years. Moses lived 120, but he had to have watched of those millions of people, those millions of people who he led, these slaves who he led out of Egypt, he had to have done funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral. Knowing that all of those who were of 20 age and older would never enter into the promised land, and we see it come down to where there's just a couple left at the end. He had had to have done funeral after funeral after funeral. And he says, it's 
soon cut off. It's like a bird that's held by a string and it cannot escape, but at some point it's cut and we fly away. We're gone. We enter into eternity. Verse 11, who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. He understood that God is a God to be feared. He understood the power of God. He understood that that he is totally and completely in need of grace. Moses got that. When he's praying this prayer, he understands that the only way that he is not consumed is by grace. And it is the same for us this morning. In verse 12, it says, so teach us to number our days. This is the application for us here. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to think that way. Teach us to to come upon the end of 2012 and approach 2013 and, and number our days. To look at it and, and, and to say things like, like Jonathan Edwards where he says, live with all my might while I do live. Or never to do something, resolve never to do something if, if I wouldn't do it if it was the last hour of my life. Resolved to look at those who are older and those who say, I wish I would have lived like this, resolve to do that now, to live like that now, how I will wish I had lived when I come to die. Resolve to think that way. And I'll tell you, I don't want, I don't want to come to die and say, I forfeited it all. I don't want to come to die and say, that sin consumed me. That particular sin consumed me and it gripped me and it just destroyed me and those around me. I don't want to be in a place of saying, he entrusted me with all of these things. I wasted it all. I don't want to be in a place where my life was filled with, with selfishness and laziness and just feeding my own flesh and making myself comfortable. I don't want to take the resources that God's entrusted me with and, and use them to build for myself a reputation to treasure up things here on earth. I want to treasure up things in heaven where neither moth nor rust can corrupt or destroy. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want my heart to be with Christ and the things of God's kingdom. Psalm 39, verse 4, it says, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. Help me just to know my end. Help me to measure my days, to know it, to, to as we, we see here, to, to number our days. 
Help me to know how frail I am. Help me to, to, to take advantage of every day that the Lord gives me. So the psalmist here, Moses says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We may have wisdom. In Proverbs 16, verse 16, it says, how much better, how much better to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. To have wisdom, to have understanding. Number your days. Number them. And then Moses says in verse 13, return, O Lord. Return. We, we echo the same sentiment where we say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Return, O Lord. How long? The imminency of, of, of Christ's return. Having our eyes in a place where we're not found being wicked servants, but we're found being about the Father's business. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. Verse 14, O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. His prayer as he's praying, God help us to number our days, is satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. You as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have experienced the mercy of God. Me too. I wanted nothing to do with God. God tells me that I was a hater of God. He tells me I was dead in my sins and trespasses, and all of you were as well. He tells us that the inclination of man's heart was only evil continually. He tells us that there's none that seek after him, that there's none that does good, that there's none that are righteous. He tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags in his sight. He tells us of the wrath that is to come, and he tells us of unquenchable fires and blackest darkness and a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. He tells us that that is what we deserve, and that he tells us about the mercy of God and that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And he tells us of the mercy that comes upon us and it comes by faith alone and it's not of work so that we can never boast. It's all by faith and it's faith in the work of Christ accomplishing for us all righteousness and placing that righteousness upon us as he takes all of our sin upon himself. Something that we could never do, a price that we could never pay, a ransom that was so far out of our reach that it isn't even possible to come close to it. The only one that could ever do it is Christ the Lord, and he did it. He became a man, he became the least of all men, and he became our ransom, our redeemer, our savior. And it all is the result of mercy, not of anything that we could ever merit or anything that we could ever do. It was all of grace, all of grace, all of grace. It was not of us. And we look at that, and, and, and God just says, here is, is through Moses, Lord, make me just be satisfied 
with your mercy. Not stuff, not health, not circumstances, but just help me to be satisfied with your mercy so that if everything else is taken away and I'm all by myself or my resources are gone or my health is gone, help me to be satisfied with your mercy so that I might rejoice and be glad for all of my days. If everything else is taken away, help me to just say, Christ, you are enough. The mercy that you've given me is is, is such that it satisfies every desire that I could ever have. I love it more than all things. Help me to be satisfied with it, he says. That you might rejoice. You approach the new year, God help us to be satisfied. Make us glad, verse 15, according to the days in which you have afflicted us, in the years which we have seen evil. Make us glad. Because your loving kindness, Psalm 63, is better than life. My lips will praise you. Thus will I bless you while I live. I'll lift up my hands to your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. We're satisfied in him alone. And then he says in verse 16, Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. Verse 17, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of your hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I think of Psalm 44 where it begins by saying, we have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us the deeds you did in their days, in the days of old. And he goes on to describe him Driving out the nations with his hand. Blessing the people in just incredible ways. It wasn't by their bow. It wasn't by their sword that they were saved. It was all of him. But there's those that are saying, we've, we've heard with our ears, oh God, our fathers have told us the deeds that you did in their days, in the days of old. And I look at that and Moses finishes by saying, Make it so that your work, Lord, appears to your servants and your glory to their children. Make it so they see your glory. Make it so that the things that we do count. He goes from there to say, let the beauty of the Lord be upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Everything that comes forward from our hands, everything that comes forward in 2013, establish it, Lord. Take the work of our hands, establish it. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You make it have something fruitful. I I pray to God that Jonathan and Natalie will have such a magnificent view of God that they take that view of God and and they give it to their children and to their children's children, if the Lord tarries, that they would go and proclaim it to the uttermost parts of the world. I, I pray that as a congregation, we together would see Christ to be so so satisfying that we would take him and treasure the gospel and treasure him and take it to the uttermost parts of the world and say, God, you do it. Establish the work of our hands. You establish it. You make fruit. Give it feet. Make it last. Make it so that at some point in our life, we would just see the legacy continue on and it's not because of our stuff, but it's because we have proclaimed the gospel and we have caused Christ to be magnified as the words came forward from our lives and the way that we lived Everybody saw that we treasure him above all things. 
And it's not man-centered because Moses concludes by saying, you establish the work of our hands. I can't do it. I can't do it. Paul says, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. It's all God. God established the work of our hands. Make 2013 fruitful for us here at Reverence Bible Church. May your glory be displayed, your worth be displayed. You be seen as a treasure above all things because we esteem you above all things. May that happen in our lives. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing. And so we approach you this morning looking ahead to the new year and just say, Lord, please help us. Help us to take the lives that you've given us and use them for the furtherance of your kingdom, to proclaim the gospel, to build up the saints, to display your worth to the nations. May we tell them of the things that you have done so that our children would say, we have heard from our fathers, we have heard from those who have gone before of all that you have done. I pray, Lord, that we would preach the sufficiency of the cross that our hope would not be in our works but solely and completely in your work and what you have done for us cause us to treasure you above all things may we send out more missionaries this year may we do more evangelism this year may we be excited and proclaim the good news to the children in the children's ministry and the youth in the youth ministry and as we stand in the in the parking lot or in the workplace or in our homes. May we live with all our might while we do live totally and completely dependent upon you. We ask these things knowing that only you can do them. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.